0: To the now, you're playing with podcast, the podcast where me and Weston go through all the Nintendo Power magazines, one volume at a time. I'm Brett, your host, and I'll be joined by my co-host or other host, uh, Weston. Hey,
1: it's me, Weston. And today we're welcome, joined by welcome to our show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we've got a super special guest today. This is Jason Addis. Hey, Jason. How's it going, Weston? <laughs> Thanks for typing my like- <laughs> last name in the chat, just in case. You know yeah, what's no, weird? Rob, I, I just wanted to support you, Weston. Could you, I mean, why why don't you spell it phonetically like you just did there? Because that, that's totally...
2: Well, you know, I mean, I was born with it spelled the way it's spelled. <laughs> but for you, Weston, I'm going to legally change my name. Okay, great. <laughs> hey, that's... <laughs> right, <laughs> Perfect. Uh, th- so,
1: Jason, we we actually go back a ways. I know you from the live comedy days. Like many of our guests, you are in the you are you are in the comedy community. But also, you are a you were in game dev.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, I come out of the theater and improv community, but I've got a uh, 20 plus year career of uh, working on games and production and development. And uh, this is cool. This is the first time I think like. My improv and my <laughs> career have <laughs> converged for a giant cage match. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, you, you are you are the
1: perfect fit for this show because uh, while this is I, no pressure, I, I'd say we're a comedy show first, but we are also huge nerds about games and games history. So,
2: oh my god, I am I am a giant nerd. In fact, my uh, my social handle—I mean, it's not this, but uh, I do go by like the Fit Nerd Dad. Because I love <laughs> fitness, I am a total nerd um, in all ways imaginable, and also I'm a dad.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the uh, the third the third pillar of the things that we will end up talking about. I'm sure is like all of the all of the fitness because you do a lot of CrossFit style stuff. So.
2: <laughs> I, I, I'm crazy, man. It's it's I, You know, yes,
0: yes. That's a great three things. I think. I think you picked. Three defining qualities. I think that I think that's really solid pillars.
1: I mean we're basically the same person.
2: It's <laughs> <laughs> minus minus the uh, the kid, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, if you if you' okay. so one one detail that I want to call out uh, about you, Jason, is that the improv group you're a part of is actually legendary in the improv community. It's the doubtful guests. And it is this let me see if I can describe it well. It is a, Live macabre cabaret with like musical accompaniment where you guys are all like dead ghouls who put on this like (laughs) messed up morality play and it is super fun and gross and horny. (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's the perfect. That is the perfect description of it. Super gross and horny. <laughs> it's gr- yeah, you guys uh, are part of this legendary super gross and horny improv group. <laughs>
0: <laughs> gross and horny are your two other pillars. Uh- <laughs> I know.
2: I know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna abandon all other pillars and just double down on gross and horny you know we probably one
1: thing of all the things we discussed uh we were getting you set up on the tech side uh we we probably should have discussed how this going on this podcast might affect your career uh yeah that's
0: the biggest issue we're gonna run into um but you were already
1: (laughs) in the doubtful guest so i'm not sure like people have already accepted you like the real you. So I think we're good.
2: I mean, if, if, if that is the real me, I think my family, my family should be concerned. But yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, they tried to get rid of me a couple times, uh, but it didn't work out. It just didn't. No, they didn't try to get rid of me. Um, well, they did. You
1: told a story the other day about how you had to be replaced because you were having a kid, if I remember correctly.
2: Yeah, there were two times. So so The Doubtful Guest is really awesome in that uh, a lot of times improv groups will get together and they'll have a good run for a couple years. But typically people jump around to different improv groups. They're constantly sort of evolving. They move mm-hmm. on to other things. But we had this really great show um, and we did it on and off for like over a decade, you know, uh, and it's wow. really, really a rare thing. And, and part of what yeah. comes with that is Like imagine like a bunch of professionals trying to find time, especially as you get married and you have kids and all in a career and you're like, how do we all come together? So at one point I couldn't do one of the runs because I was getting married and going on my honeymoon. Yeah. And then another time I was having a kid and shipping a game at the same time. So those were the two times that I just couldn't do the run. One of those times, um, you know, they brought in two people to replace me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's going to require two people it's going <laughs> to require two two
0: people to make one map uh, one um, for the one for the fitness one for the nerd <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's right but the other time is even better because <laughs> because uh, one of the uh one of the founders of the group todd stashwick was very close with the with the actor jeremy piven so i couldn't do a run so he called his buddy jeremy and I literally got replaced by like an A-list celebrity for <laughs> a month, Jeremy Piven. And then I'm coming back afterwards, like coming back to the group that I helped to create. And then I'm replacing Jeremy Piven. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, man. It's so, so, so wild!
0: Do you still perform with them?
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, we the last time we performed was before the pandemic. Um, we did a run at the Acme... Uh, the Acme theater in North Hollywood. It was a blast. Like we, we went up for just a couple nights. We sold that place out. It was just jam packed, uh, because we really only get together every couple of years now when we're able to. So it's always a special thing when we get to come back and do that. And it's like riding a bike, you know, you do a show that long and you just kind of like settle right in. And the only thing that you really need to worry about is, you know, improv, even though it's made up, you still need to get some reps and you still need to oh, work yeah. a bit on your craft. And if you've oh, been out yes. of practice, if you've been out of practice, it's like a train wreck. I don't care how much experience you have. If you haven't done it in a while, it's like there are muscles in your brain that you need to, you know, <laughs> kind of reset. all the doctors out there are like, there are no muscles in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> you have to exercise. Um, you have to exercise that spontaneity and you you have to work on it because, uh you get used to doing those reps and your mind just, you know, locks in. So like anything oh, yeah. else you have to practice improvising stuff to be better at improvising stuff. You know, we've been we've
1: been talking about the guests for a while here. If anybody listening is actually curious, if you go on to my YouTube, I met these guys doing videography like uh, you know, for their shows. So I've got like a trailer. This is like from like 2008 or something. <laughs> but But uh, that stuff is still like there's some pretty amazing some of the key musical numbers and stuff from the shows on there. So uh, (laughs) if you are if you are intrigued and you want to see some like Victorian hellish monsters do messed up morality plays, uh, yeah, (laughs) YouTube.com/slash Weston Lee, I guess. But yeah, well, let's and games and And Nintendo power and. (laughs) And Old ass video games. Thank you for uh, indulging my need to talk about uh, uh, prov. <laughs> Let's get into <laughs> it, right? Prov to video games. <laughs> the cover. So, th- we're we finally arrived. We've been talking about the Super Nintendo era since we started the podcast. You know, we've we're like on what is this, uh, episode 25 or something.
0: Yeah, I've been just like patiently waiting just being like, "Oh, these old Nintendo games. I don't I don't want to talk about them." But now, now we're we're hitting games that I want to talk about. Uh, yeah, Jason,
2: Super were Mario you like, World.
0: Did you play the Super Nintendo? Did you own that system? Like did what's your uh, like experience gaming-wise?
2: I mean, I make games. I've been doing it for over 20 years. Uh, I've actually been doing it my whole life. Uh, when oh, I was cool. a kid, like my computer classes, I got to learn DOS. I got to learn how to make choose-your-own-adventure games like, on oh, my computer. Yeah. I remember yeah. back then, like if I wanted to figure out how to do something, I'd have to go down to this place called Egghead Software, talk to the people that <laughs> work there. They would give me lines of code. I could go home. I could plug it in. I could figure stuff out. But I'm actually the first generation that's completely raised on video games with the Atari 2600, my dad oh, brought yeah. home a Pong machine when I was like 5 years old. Wow. So my very Whoa. first memories, yeah. My Damn, very first memories. Pong,
0: you owned a Pong yeah, machine? Yeah,
2: we Dude, my dad sick. brought home a Pong machine and an Atari 2600. <laughs> wow. I also when I turned 13, I spent all my bar mitzvah money to get an Amiga 500 because it was the closest you could get um, to actually playing arcade style games on a on a Home computer. I still can't Um,
1: believe you had an Amiga. Like you might be the first American I've ever met that had an Amiga. I know plenty of us, man.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There were plenty of us with Amigas. (laughs) Jealous. Did you have
0: like that? uh, Did you have like that effect where like every game that came out, you were like, "Holy shit, this is a whole new thing!" Like were you constantly like, "Oh, this is like a whole new genre. This is a whole new. I've never experienced a game like this before."
2: You know, I don't think I ever really thought about it. In that regard, when I was a kid, um, yeah. all I know is that I love d you know, I loved sports games okay. and, and I loved going outside, playing sports, then coming home and being able to play sports uh, on my computer. I love playing DD and and then playing it on the computer. So I was very aware the very first time, like my Apple, I had an Apple IIe as well before my Amiga and, <laughs> um. I know, like every nice. bit of money I would get, I spent all on like computers and video games. Yeah. And although, if you were to ask my mom, it was all for the word processing power. That is how <laughs> I, I can got make my- party invitations, mom. <laughs> mom, I
1: made mom. you a card.
2: And I played all these video games. <laughs> <But> <laughs> back to noise. your question. Back to your question. My relationship with the Super Nintendo is pretty cool because. Once I got to college, I I started running out of time to play games. I still had, you know, I still had my Amiga 500 and I still played in the beginning, but then I got so crazy busy and it wasn't until like my senior year when things started to mellow a little bit, um, I went out and I basically starved myself. Like I was living off of ramen for almost a whole year (laughs) so that I could then go and buy a super Nintendo.
1: Wow. And also I did this.
2: Yeah, I did the same thing with the Sega Genesis as well. By the way, because I was crazy, uh, so I got my <laughs> Super Nintendo, and I primarily played like three games on it. I played Super Street Fighter, Ooh. I played Super Star Wars, and I played um, Mario on it. And eventually, I I got some other games as I you know, as I was able to make some money because when you're in college, you don't have a lot of money. So these things yeah. were an investment. But man, I played the Crap out of uh, Super Street Fighter and Super Star Wars. I was ah uh, so fun.
1: That's so that's so wild. The um my college console was an Xbox. I like cut class to go buy an Xbox and Halo Two when it came out. And uh, so your college console was the SNES. And Brett, what was yours like? What because <laughs> no, we've got a good the, spread the, of ages. The, yeah, mine was the Wii U. <laughs> nice, you got a. <laughs> I think wow. you got the short end of the stick as far as No, 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 no.
0: It's not a great system, but it's a great college system because there's so many like party games and stuff. It was like great oh, yeah. uh to drink with some buddies and play the Wii U.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. I also want to say, so we haven't talked about the cover much, but it is, of course, Super Mario World. And um whoever's doing Photoshop at the magazine has gotten way better. Um it's it's still very much a 90s. It looks like a Lisa Frank Trapper Keeper because uh, it's neon colors with the Dolphin guys from Super Mario World. Some art of Mario and Yoshi. Um, we've been... So I've disparaged a lot of the covers on the magazine over the years, especially some of the early Photoshop ones where they, uh, they used too many gradients and stuff. I actually looked yeah. at the credits. They've used an ad agency for a bunch of these. So Oh, really? No, nobody at Nintendo's... At fault for the bad ones, dropping the ball, or the here. good ones.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it looks good. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about Mario World.
1: <laughs> They've actually got. Uh, speaking of uh, your favorite subject, Brett, vaporwave—the uh, purple yeah. to indigo kind of tidal gradient thing—very vaporwave. It is. I'm, no, I mean, I'm, I am sick of it. I'm sick of Vaporwave. <laughs> <laughs> they, they
0: were going way too hard on vaporwave at this point. <laughs>
2: I'm just staring at the cover tripping out because it's just, it's so colorful. I'm just like, Oh man, how much did they smoke before they laid this whole thing out? Because yeah. that ad-, it's like, ad
1: agency. Absolutely.
2: I know. They're like a couple of guys going, Oh man, I think that if it had like, we got to get like, it has to look like if just, just look inside my head and make that. I, <laughs> I like, know. I, really- got, I
1: got you, bro.
2: That's, they, I mean, that's every right? cover, dude. It's
0: every single one is just this mishmash, like finger painting of vaporwave with some character on top of it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. They all, I mean, and they all also kind of feel like they're the same cover. Like if you start going back
1: and <laughs> yeah. looking oh, at every yeah.
2: single cover, same thing. It's probably it's just the like same a- agency.
1: Mailbox. It's the mailbox. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this one has like an interesting setup. So like
0: a thing they've been doing lately is like, you know, people who read the magazine send in mail and Nintendo will like post it and respond to it, but they've been doing like,
1: and they they love to do market research.
0: Yeah. It's like a lot of market research
1: (laughs) topics that are secretly market research.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 And so it's always like a different topic lately. And this one is like asking kids to suggest what the player poll can be. So like that's
1: yeah. The contest prize.
0: There's always a big contest every magazine and they could win some big prize, like meeting a celebrity. But for this, they're like asking going, going
1: kids. to the set of Robocop two.
0: Yeah. And so they're getting just the suggestions of like six year olds, and it's very charming. I I think there's some really funny, just classic six-year-old massive expectation pitches for Prizes here.
1: I think probably the most extreme. Well, I don't know. You guys might disagree on this one, but somebody wants an actual life simulation of SimCity, which means they want to be the comptroller of a town.
2: <laughs> as, as and then the town is yeah like destroyed by natural disasters. <laughs> like when I think about how I wouldn't want to spend like eternity, it would be trapped inside any character in a sim world. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, just pathing around in the same area, you know, it just seems terrible.
0: Especially with kids. Like, I feel like any kid on those sim games is just straight up just torturing the the virtual guests. Like, that's... Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, some of them are, like, kids pitching jokes. Like, I think the SimCity is a joke. They're like, hey, you own a city and, like, a tsunami comes in. But then sometimes you get these kids who are just going up through these long, just paragraphs of what if you were a wizard adventurer and you walked through like a crazy fort like some kids, some of these kids are just pitching these long, just convoluted, imagine it, very imaginative yeah, ideas. Well, a
1: lot of them really want LARPing style yeah. experiences. And I mean, it's really, te- yeah, this, this, cause nowadays there is some stuff you can do along those lines. That's like semi immersive or it's an escape room or something, but like, I think that's because all these kids grew up as was like, it sucks that's not real. And then they started a business. Yeah. Jason, how uh, how
0: old are your kids? Fifteen. Okay, what do you, do you, what what's the age when like their imagination gets realistic? Like I feel like there's an age <laughs> where like there's a level where like there's <laughs> there's like a level where they're like expectations of things can be like so out of whack. Like they, they really still think magic is real. Like, there's a level of, like...
1: Yeah, can Santa please come to my birthday, kind of. Yeah,
0: like, like me as a kid, like, I remember, like, we were, like, drawing schematics for my, like, dog dog house, and I drew, like, a a massive mansion where we all had rooms, thinking we could build that for my dog. And then, like, a year later, I remember thinking, like, oh, man, I guess we couldn't have done that. Do you know, like, that age? (laughs) Is there, like, an age you could point to where the brain is developed to that point?
2: I mean, I... I feel like life is a series of being surprised by my kid's vivid imagination, uh, in ways that I di- in ways that I didn't expect. You know, like I think when my kid was like ten years old, uh, man, we've had Sims for a lo- Sims Four for a long time, and my kid loves that game, but they play it in ways that are surprising and unexpected. Like, let's see if I could, you know, create this whole family. And let's see if we could get them having a bunch of people over to the house. Now let's try to lock everybody into the house. Now let's yeah. see if we could have them yeah. all. Let's see if we could have them all die because they can't take out the garbage. How long does it take for garbage to kill a bunch of sims? How long will it take until they start a fire and they all burn in a garbage fire dumpster because I've locked them all? Like that is the kind yeah. of crazy. That's the crazy stuff that happens. And it only just gets more complicated over time. Like, like, (laughs) all right. You know, like my kid's like 12 years old. They come out with a puppy pack and all the animals. And then my kid's like, let's see how long it takes to have 10 animals in this house. Now let's close all the doors and windows. (laughs) How long does it take for the animals to take over and to start eating the humans? Like, I I love that there's a very specific- That's super
1: fun. there is a red button in their mind that they press where it's just like, now let's take all the doors out from the house yes. and let's see how long I can kill them using the items in the house. Yeah. How it, long can always,
2: it always leads to the doors going away. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> what? I don't, I don't want to window into my kids dreams for this very reason. <laughs> hey, listen, <laughs> I love I the latest that. draft of the
1: script. It's, it's real good. I just have one note. What if on page 30 when everybody's in in the house what if they the doors just disappear
2: what if we take away the doors <laughs> it's going to yeah. be like matrix where everybody's mouths disappear but it's just going to be doors you know just <laughs> doors it's a social experiment let's see what happens
1: Final thought for this, because uh, the winner was one of these people that wrote in with a suggestion, and that's why this contest is good. I think they sent this ask out for contest ideas after the one where the prize was a golf cart and a set of golf clubs.
0: Yeah, they were a little tapped out of ideas at that point. Yeah, the, yeah, they, they
1: let Bill in accounting pick what the prize was one month, and it was a disaster with the kids. So they're like, well, what do you want? Although I, I still would defend. I think uh, as a kid, a golf cart would be pretty sick. <laughs> that's what you said at the time. <laughs> All right, let's see. Uh we got like what sixteen pages on Super Mario World, which if you're somebody who plays games, I feel like Mario World is regularly at the top of people's lists. So this is like establishing stuff that I personally know by heart at this point. Yeah. I've only been the power up structure. Yeah. Yeah,
0: dude. It's such a great game, man. That that's special secret Star World, man. That's the coolest shit ever.
1: I can't believe they Jason, you're in dev. What do you think about this? They literally show everything in the game. Like they they show the Star World, they even show the special map with all like the hard
2: levels. It's the whole thing. I think for for this particular game, it's it's not like it's a it's a Mario game. It's not like like the point of the game is to surprise you with some giant reveal. It's are you good enough to get through all the challenges Uh, we're going to throw your way. So it doesn't really like it for me personally, it doesn't really like bug me. Like now, if I was working on some, some really, you know, big game with a story mode where there's a giant twist and a crazy ending, I'd be like, Oh yeah, hell no. You're not showing any of that. I need the players to be surprised by what's going to happen because it's more emotionally evoking. Um, like, like, the thing about Mario that I really really loved especially as a kid and even today is that like I feel like this is the last of those like action platform games that is all about skill and constantly throwing more difficult challenges your way like it's yeah. before the world it's before the gaming community or rather the gaming industry decided that that all humans are stupid and they want everything <laughs> handed to them like on a platter Yeah like the way that playtesting sort of evolved games in like the early 2000s once once that became a thing it was like hey you know what gamers are really getting stuck and confused here it's really hard for them to do this thing let's let's try to like make sure that we could you know hand it to them if they fail 3 times we're just going to make it really easy so they keep going we don't want them stuck I grew up with yeah. games that were effing hard and yeah. you felt so good when you'd pass a level. You'd celebrate. You'd be jumping up yeah. and down in your room. You'd be screaming with your friends like, oh, my God, we passed or we're on to the next level.
1: It's interesting because um, that you say that because you know you talk about game game uh, playtesting becoming big. And I think about all the stuff I've read and seen about Half-Life which it sounds like was one of the first games where they really just sat over somebody's shoulder and watched them try to play it. And Mario World makes me think of the Half-Life games and how the levels are designed because they'll, they'll be de- designed around an idea, you know, where it's just like, I don't know, there's a bunch of platforms on, on rails, you know, and a bunch of them are going to drop when they get to the end of the rail, and that's what the level is. And so you kind of give the player an idea And they do have to figure it out for themselves. Like, you know, you have kind of that first one that's relatively simple, but then it builds and builds and builds on it. And it's one of my favorite types of level design. And it's so fun to see it like continue to show up in modern, like even half-life Alex, you know, like it's in VR now where it's just like, yeah, this level's about an idea and go. (laughs)
0: Uh, It
1: it almost feels like a sketch,
0: like a sketch comedy sketch for it's like, okay, idea escalation, uh, which is fun. And like, uh, uh, what I like as well, like the same reason why I like my, like a sketch show is like you're constantly being surprised and like being stimulated with new ideas and it's always exciting. Uh,
2: oh, yeah. Like gr- great comedy is all about heightening an idea and and you continue to heighten it and it gets so absurd. And then and then it's about like, OK, we've reached the peak and <laughs> out. Like you want to yeah. cut out of it as quick as possible. Like once you yeah. sort of heighten it to that point. You're right. Like great games are similar. You take a very simple idea and and you add a single thing into it to heighten like an action plot. Like Mario, for example, like they'll add one brand new element after maybe 3 levels. Hmm. And now you have to master that, you know, the game with that one additional difficult element. And now yeah. they've added one more element to it a little later, and before you know it, everything's built from you know, level to level to level to area to area to island to island until suddenly they're throwing everything at you. And it's yeah. really freaking hard. And it's completely exhilarating to actually defeat a level, you know. And I feel I feel like games are actually coming back to that. It's okay to make really hard games again. And oh, yeah. To make games where it's like where it's okay to get frustrated and to want to throw your controller because when you pass the level, you'll actually feel like you accomplished something again thank you from software yeah, yeah from yeah. So, from I, software oh my god i
0: just beat Elden ring and man was that a journey
1: it spent <laughs> like 150 how, how long what was your play time again
0: i, I didn't look i don't want to look but 140 150 probably but yeah it's i'm glad that we are going back to it cuz it is like um it's such a fun feeling to like know the level to, like it's just you feel like you did something there's like level of accomplishment that yeah. is kind of missed
2: And when designers make a game that's difficult, they're actually complimenting the players. They're going, we know that you guys aren't stupid. We know that you guys like a challenge. We know that you guys are doing this to solve puzzles and figure out timing and to employ a strategy. We're not treating you like you're all just a bunch of brain dead lemmings that need everything handed to you. I love that. I love being challenged with puzzles. I love being challenged with strategy. Yeah. But there was this whole period of time in the early 2000s where... You know, I think playtesting started, oh my gosh, the the best analogy I ever heard about like play, not analogy, but great playtesting is about just taking the suck out. You know, Mm -hmm. somebody told me that once. It made so much sense. Like people are playing your game and really what you're trying to do is find the points where, where something's just busted or broken and you're basically, as a designer, you can look at that and you can take the suck out. It's not about like, oh, everybody's getting really frustrated and they can't do this thing. Like- But that's sort of what it evolved to for a while. It was like, no, they need to know exactly where to go and what to do. And people are lost and they can't figure it out. And people are dumb. You got to really spoon feed everything to them. It started to get to that place where it all became so vanilla and generic. And then I feel like it's now recorrecting itself where it's like, no, it's okay that players get frustrated as long as it makes sense. So take out crappy stuff, make sure that things make sense. And make sure that you understand that, like people are employing strategies to complete the level. Like that's what you want as a designer: people to use their brains oh. and have fun, and just take the crappy stuff out and and polish it up. You know, and I, yeah. that's what I love about uh, that's what I love about really good play testing, like watching people play it, watching their eyes, watch what they're tracking, watch where they're getting stuck, watch figure out why they're getting stuck, and you tune and you tweak to just improve the experience. And it's okay if people get frustrated along the way. Hmm. That's part of the that's challenge.
0: Fun. Yeah, that's, that's a fun like, little polishing process. I never really thought of that. Um, uh, and it makes sense, you like kind of trying to decide whether like, is this our fault or their fault? Or <laughs> maybe not fully theirs, but like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's very neat.
2: Yeah, and you Do don't you- have to make a game fun for everybody. You have to make it fun for the kinds of people that want to play your game. You know, your audience isn't everybody.
0: That's what, I like that you mentioned like vanilla and stuff because like um, uh, that's maybe like a thing that I feel like towards movies nowadays where uh, often it does very feel vanilla and for everyone and it's kind of taking the edge and it, nothing ever feels specific for me where video games currently is at a state where I do get those games where I'm like oh this is just for me like this is a game that no like this is like so my weird taste and it feels great that I could connect with things like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, some of the conversations that I've had to sit in on and be part of like working in games for 20 years, things like, you know, when you work on a huge franchise, you have like over a hundred million people playing it. And then you sit in these executive rooms and they're like, you know, how do we expand our audience? How do we grow it? How do we get bigger? How do we bring in more people? How do we bring in new people? We need to onboard people better. We need to teach them how to play. We need to, I'm like.
1: Yeah, meanwhile, you guys have like one of the biggest games of the world or something.
2: (laughs) We've got like over a hundred million people playing it. Maybe we should just continue to focus on making what we have just better all the time. Hmm. We've got almost everybody.
1: <laughs> okay, I, have, I have a I have a final Mario World question for you guys. Can we go around and say what our fa- uh, favorite kind of ad? In Mario World was and uh, you know like it could be an enemy or one of the power-ups I guess there's only one I, Yoshi counts as a power-up it's not Yoshi doesn't have feelings um, like I can go first like my my single favorite like thinking about the the generational leap that this game was how much more it could do than the the, the NES games. This the secret exits, like the the keys that you find to put into the locks. Cause that it was one of the first this is one of the first games I can think of that really tapped into the uh, kind of ADD completionist in me. So then it becomes it's like, okay, well, have I found the secret exit or what? Where does it go? What is it like I became obsessed and I still am with getting all of those.
0: Yeah, I, I would honestly say, and this is feels kind of lame because it's kind of almost towards the nes to snes super nintendo nintendo to super nintendo jump but i honestly got to say the art like i feel like the game just looks so smooth and clean and oh uh, yeah so this is one of the first games that's come out to this point that i feel like uh when i play i truly feel a vibe i feel like i'm in the charming magical nintendo world and it i think it does that really well uh very cool best so far probably for me
2: yeah i think those are awesome uh I'm thinking about, like, I'm trying to remember back to when I was just, like, playing that game just all the time, and I don't know, I'm pretty sure that somebody must have, anything that happens in games, somebody's usually done it before, usually. Um, People are always (laughs) playing games and borrowing ideas and trying to apply it to what they're doing and then build on it, but one thing I really loved about playing these levels, whether other people were doing it or not, is I felt like as you mastered a level, you could play the level and you can get to the end of it and not have like a perfect score, but you could move forward. But if you played the level again, there were like little secret spots that you could get to, other right. routes you can oh. take, other things you could do. So so you had the ability to like charge forward and and see what was in front of you. But also like you could stand that level trying to get to the that secret area or that special place that you couldn't get to the first few times. And I would yeah. just get obsessed with trying to figure it out. And I'm trying to remember, I know... Man, I used to love this when Star Wars was doing it. Like um, the Star Wars Lego games did did this to a T. But like you'd play through like three fourths of the game, and then get a hold of something that then allowed you to go back to earlier levels of the game and unlock other areas. Finally. I feel like this game may have started to introduce elements like that. I'm oh,
1: I never. That's a very interesting connection. Yeah, to, to your point. Yeah, like my favorite thing was always the keys for the the alternate exits. But there is a ton more that incentivizes you going back to the levels, like the Yoshi coins. You have that counter up top that shows you if you've oh. gotten all five of them. You have the the switch palaces that like add in the blocks that let you get to different places and make the game easier. Yeah. I mean, those blocks feel like that
0: almost feels very like that Lego Star Wars thing where like there's are certain areas I think you straight up just can't get into until you hit that block. And now there's a block that's there that lets you get to this really high up area that you couldn't get to before. And you're like, "Ooh, yep. I finally get to go experience that.
1: Yeah. And you see yeah. the outline. So, you know, it's like, oh, when I get the red yeah. one, I have to come back here because there's red blocks here.
2: Yeah. yeah, and then because it's a game of skill, like you have to like put together the perfect run and hit the timing just right to to reach the thing that's really high, to jump on the box, to get to the higher spot. To the, like, and you know, it it just took a lot of a lot of skill. And I just loved I would just get so obsessed with trying to figure out and then I'd get so angry, I'd be like, oh, I made three-fourths of the level, and then I just hit the wrong timing and I button mashed wrong and Back to the beginning. Back to doing it again.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, great game. Legendary game. Howard and Nestor. Jason, did did we properly prepare you for... Yeah, no, I remember telling you about Howard and Nestor, the comic. Um, Yeah, this one is... uh, I don't know where to start, but I guess we should run through what happens in this issue's... (laughs) (laughs) Nestor's excellent adventures it's it's a Bill and Ted themed one and I guess there's there's air guitar tryouts and Nestor is initially tries to uh game the system by tricking all the other air guitar contestants into thinking the contest is the next day
0: yeah I I do want to point out just this first panel is pretty wild to me it's just oh yeah um it's in the first panel, they're at the outside of a building, and there's a large poster for excellent air guitar tryouts. Already a pretty weird thing to begin with. And there's just a cowboy kid right next to him saying, ah, gee, shucks, I thought this was the rodeo. And Nestor is just pointing at him like, who's this idiot? Well, Nestor's like pointing, get a load of this guy. <laughs> that is just a lot.
1: <laughs> it's right it's weird to think of... Like, this kid, is this the same kid that was in the fence painting one where it's like, we don't know who it is. We don't know why they're there. And, hey. like, why is he in a cowboy outfit?
0: It doesn't, he's, it's not setting anything up. There's no point to it. It's just some kid in a cowboy costume going, I thought this was
2: the rodeo. And just <laughs> fails. Can, can we also just talk about the random paintbrush? Is anybody going to talk about the paintbrush? Well he What's, it's it's actually not um, it's not set up
1: in the comic very well but you can see in the second panel everybody's talking about the delay and Nestor is pointing at the paintbrush so he painted the word tomorrow under the air guitar tryouts poster Instead of
0: instead of showing him having drew. like they should probably show the poster that he manipulated but they don't they don't they just show him pointing to a to a paintbrush going look what I you did You just
1: barely see it in the background
0: <laughs>
2: I know it's like it's not even it's. I I can't even right now. They did not put this through user testing.
1: Oh no! No, they absolutely. I don't
2: think. I don't think
1: anybody reads this comic before it's uh, before it's published. Uh, So uh, another note here is when he's with the contestants, where he's like, not only has he tricked the contestants to the air guitar. Which by the way, I would love to know what this uh, this older lady her air guitar style is. I bet she's awesome, but like Nestor not only tricks them into the the contest you know being delayed so that he's the only contestant, he then is like, well, I'm going to practice, so if you guys want to check this out and then he, instead of air guitaring, he break dances
2: <laughs> not only does he <laughs> is he break dancing, he's like maybe doing the most dangerous thing at all of break dancing." Spinning on, is- <laughs> spinning on his head. Spinning on his
1: head. And he's not even doing it the right way where you keep your shoulder and neck muscles really strong so you have that strong base. His whole back is like bent over. He- he's going to break his own neck for sure. <laughs> what a wild first four panels. Just <laughs> Yeah, that's four panels. And then, if- okay, so. <laughs> Look at my air guitar. Spins on head. <laughs> so the unexplained cowboy, not air guitar air guitar contestants are not really tracking. And then of course they find out that he has tricked them and he runs and hides in a phone booth and it just gets, it just gets weirder. Um, so while he's in the phone booth, there's a run of bits <laughs> where let's see the first ones he picks up the phone and tries to call Bill, Ted or Rufus Uh, tries to call George Carlin to get him out of there. And uh wait, that was George Carlin, right? Am I? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: I'm not. I'm not positive, uh, but
1: and then at the other end, like instead of those guys, uh, it's it's like a quote from The Wizard of Oz about <laughs> clicking your heels together. And then in the next panel, there's <laughs> Superman <laughs> changing in the next phone booth over. <laughs> and then in the next panel, uh, Nestor says, "I need the number for the French Revolution Prano and then just a normal operator says, "I don't have that listed."
2: I mean that it takes yeah. a pretty pretty significant jump. Oh, hey, man,
1: uh, air guitar,
2: and here's I've, Superman, yeah. and here's French Revolution. Honestly, Yay. they pro-
1: I bet they had to redo the third panel because the third panel was the uh, you remember that remake of the Blob from the '80s where somebody's in a phone booth and then they look over and like the disintegrating sheriff is next to them in the Blob. They probably had to replace it, so that's why the third panel doesn't work. It, well, I think that's it, true.
0: This one is—I've uh, missed this so bad. I like—I've I, missed this nonsensical. They've been a little like these comics have been a little more followable. We're back to the roots of just it being absolute nonsense.
1: Yeah, this is way better.
0: Our theory has been that like there's like one really really weird one that we talk about of him like in this Ducktales space universe, and it seemed like it was so weird because they wrote it as like a Ducktales comic. Then Disney was like, hey. Don't don't mention that Ducktail stuff. Like you can't have our characters. So they had to like rewrite it. Is kind of the vibe it had. And like I wonder what this one if they like originally had like Bill and Ted in it, and eventually the, those guys were like, "Hey, get them out of that comic," and they had to like in one night rush and rechange the whole thing. Uh,
2: <laughs> oh God, I I still can't get past this this one with Superman. Like it's not even well. With Z Man, I guess, because yeah, it's, it's uh, like an
1: off brand Superman. Yeah, because you
2: know, like they had to put this through legal clearances even back then. Oh, and yeah. they're like, no, you can't have Superman. We'll get sued. So he just paints a Z on the chest. And I have so many questions. Like, I just want to know what the superhero's name is with the Z. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to know. I have to know. What if it's not a superhero? He almost, it's, just, <laughs> it's just a guy. So, so it's just a man who who uh gets naked in phone boots. Who has a trench coat that's like oh yeah, half of the way down and a sh- shirt with a Z on it.
0: <laughs> it that they almost inadvertently made the um the Wario Superman. It's uh like how Wario oh. is the backwards Super Mario Wait, But there's the backwards- already
1: a Wario Superman, it's bizarro. <laughs> You know, man. bizarro like the anti-Superman.
2: Well, and look look at look at the guy, look at the Superman's hand like up by his mouth as he stares at the kid. It's just it's creepers.
0: Yeah, man. It's, it's...
2: creepers. He's like yeah, oh, what is this? oh, there's somebody <laughs> in the next <laughs>
1: Yeah. He's like look. chewing on his index finger. He wanted to be
2: seen. <laughs> it's almost three o'clock. I better I better get into the phone booth near the school. Like, what is that?
1: Yeah, uh, Z-Man is just like Superman, but he can only change if somebody's watching him.
0: Okay, well, we can continue. <laughs> this This comic still, further on, is, continues to go down <laughs> Nonsense Street. So he runs into Lincoln Park after this. Where he yeah, wanna, into- to,
1: to be fair, this is not Lincoln Park the band. It's Lincoln Park. Yeah, like, like, uh, uh, like Abraham like, Lincoln.
0: Well, like, Lincoln Park's like a real
1: like park, right? Yeah, it's a real place. Yep. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Wait. What city is it in? (laughs) Through the magic of Google.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Where does
1: Where does Nestor live? Or at least where is he in this episode? Looks like there's a Lincoln Park uh, up in the valley. So yeah, Chicago, right? Oh no, I was talking about LA. Chicago. Okay. Yeah, I know.
0: There's. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Lincoln Park is Chicago. So Nestor lives in Chicago, um, (laughs) and he runs into Lincoln Park.
1: It feels kind of appropriate.
0: Yeah, Nestor just visited the old Bean or whatever, and then runs into Lincoln Park and runs (laughs) into Abraham Lincoln.
1: Yeah, you know, because Lincoln Park, get it? Um, Yeah. yeah, And then he says, probably my favorite joke of the comic, who's this guy supposed to be, George Washington? (laughs)
0: Like, there's no... Every single, like, string of panels is just... a. He's just, like, running to weird thing to weird thing. There's no, like, direction. There's no yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it really, it's, in comedy terms, this is a run. And it, it, it does, by the way, since we're close to the end, like, it ends with him doing air guitar with Abraham Lincoln to help improve his speak, his speaking, his public speaking.
0: Okay, well, <laughs> I mean, that that's all a Bill and Ted <laughs> reference, but it's just, it took them, it, <laughs> it seemed like they, they were like, okay, we need to get to... We're doing Bill and Ted, so we need Nestor and Abraham Lincoln to do the air guitar together. That's what we need to get to. How do we get there? Okay, well, let's have him spin on his head. He walks past creepy Superman, who then
2: runs into Lincoln Park. I mean, and we're not even talking about the weird sort of like, I'm heading to a public park and I'm gonna hang out inside the bushes.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> and I'm gonna creep, I'm gonna creep around in the bushes for a little while before I hang out with this with this grown man. <laughs> I, I did just notice our
1: uh, our uh, Aunt Edna, our you know, like this uh, this older lady who was chasing Nestor from the guitar, air guitar contest. She is chasing him, but then is distracted by the power of Abraham Lincoln's words. You can see her in the second to last panel watching the speech. Uh, so oh. she was moved and inspired by uh, Mister Mister President Lincoln. So
0: Abraham does him a solid and distracts the old lady from getting him um
1: <laughs> and in return Nestor teaches him air guitar and yeah
0: I, I'm curious where's this what's this creepy Superman up to like we just see him in one panel and he goes away I wonder what his his adventure is
2: Well he just hangs out inside those phone booths waiting for <laughs> people to use the adjacent phone booth. oh yeah yeah and then he's like oops just excuse it on his finger <laughs> just chew on his finger
0: oh
1: man. <laughs> He really is. A comic with that Superman, or a uh, Superman as we should probably call him, uh, it's literally just gonna be that same panel over and over, right? Like he's just like, oh, somebody's in the booth next to me. Oh, they saw me. And then, oh, somebody's in the booth next to me, excuse me. Yeah. Oh, he's so- like a just over and over and over.
0: He's a superman who does like the 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 quick phone booth change, his clothes, but he's, it's more of an excuse, so he can just sit there and chew on his finger and look at people. He's not he's not actually trying to change in
2: I mean this is this is how he gets away with the story to the cops every single time. <laughs> but, but but I'm Superman. I was trying to go in there to change to go help children. I why after, are you arresting me? I well, I After no, five I, five or six I forgot times. my pants. <laughs> he he gives uh he gives
1: the excuse over and over. And the police are just like, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, Mister Man, please, please go do your thing. And he's like, thank you. And then finally, you know, after like six police, one of them's like, wait, that was a Z, not an S.
0: And then another policeman was like, and he was really chewing on that finger, like crazy. He was just knobbing on that thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty suspicious.
2: <laughs> uh, I mean, All look right. at the face of Nestor. I, like, just look <laughs> at Nestor staring at him, like. My parents warned me about people like this. I don't think I should be in this phone booth anymore. (laughs) I got to
1: say, if there's a, my single favorite Nestor expression panel of the last few comics is the very first one here where he's like, get a load of this guy to the cowboy kid. Uh, Because the look on his face is really like, wow, what an idiot. But it's very clear that he is also very dumb. Yeah. And I I just, I love it so much. I'm going to make it into a t-shirt.
0: Uh, yeah, this was wild. This was this was a wild one. I got I got I got nothing else to say. Just, this is this
1: was wild. <laughs> hey, you're listening to the Now You're Playing with Podcast, the podcast. Are you ready? This is the beer break brought to you by Howard and Nestor.
0: Hey, I'm Nestor. Um, Glub up that beer, my friend. <laughs> All right, you want to send me and Weston some emails? Oh, no. Yeah. Now you can. Now you can. Send them to mailbox at nowyourplane.com. Yeah. All right, let's get back to the guys.
1: Here we go. Here we go. We got to do two sound effects in a row now because we are <laughs> at. Oh. More features. There we go. It's the second NES Star Wars game, because remember, they made one in Japan, and then they made another one, and this yep. is the other one.
0: Yeah, you, uh, Jason, you mentioned you like um, Star Wars games. I'm assuming it's not this one, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> in the event that a future employer could be, could be Lucasfilm. <laughs> they know. They, they signed off on these games. They know. Yeah, this is this is not the, this is definitely not not the one. Um, I was a big fan of the Super Nintendo Super Star Wars uh, game. I so it's, that one's just called Super Star Wars, right? It's just yeah, Super yep. Star. Wars. Yeah, that that game's yeah. awesome. It's very arcadey. They're like really fun and crazy. Yeah, just another really awesome action platformer. I don't think I'm as familiar with this particular one. I mean, I'm looking at it. and I'm like, this looks familiar. But. I rented it a couple times,
1: and from what I remember, the platform is very loosey goosey. You're kind of slippery, and uh, also when you power up your blaster, it shoots fat rectangles.
2: Oh my god, a fat rectangle blaster!
1: <laughs> yeah, it starts oh. out shooting little like blips, and then uh, and then Han Solo because he's got that huge hand
2: cannon thing. Uh, his, his rectangles are always fat. Could you imagine sitting sitting in on those design meetings when they're trying to figure out, like, all right, how do we raise the stakes with shooting? We've already done dots. We've done lines. <laughs> we've done beans. I, we haven't really gotten into the geometric shapes yet, though. Like, what about a big, fat triangle? What, like a yeah. isosceles triangle? <laughs> point forward or point
1: back, and it's like a four-hour argument over which direction the triangle should face. <laughs> and then yeah months later when the game is almost done and that you know everything's locked so they can't change it the guy who's fighting for point forward was like you know you're right it should have been point back we fucked up <laughs> nobody's brains yeah. can
2: process backwards triangles
1: i just oh i i just learned, okay so jason you work on a, a first person shooter a, a specific live game first person shooter and i uh, did yeah I just learned, due to a bug report, that Destiny shipped a uh, one of the new guns, Ossia Striga, like the Poison SMG. The bullets are facing sideways when they shoot out, so they're like horizontal ovals. Um, and they're like, it turns out that was a bug, not a feature. They, they fixed it so that they're <laughs> like, it's like if bullets shot out of a gun, like
2: horizontally perpendicular to the barrel. Sometimes sometimes some of the best features are born of bugs. <laughs> you're <laughs> testing something, it doesn't work quite right, but then the thing that you think is broken ends up being really fun and you're like, oh, double down on the bug, make the bug better. <laughs> and the next thing you do, you're tuning something that was a bug and <laughs> calling it oh, a feature. Wow. But yeah, that happens sometimes. The scariest thing about like shipping something with a bug is is if it's like if it breaks your game like life is just hell until you fix it. It's just hell. Like oh, you don't man, sleep until
1: the thing is like fixed. Because right. because if it's like a game
2: breaking bug, nobody can play the game safely, right? Yeah, that's right. And what you don't also realize is that like if you're going to fix something as an emergency, it's not like you own the code end to end and you can just like fix it. Once you're good, you could just deploy it. You know, if you're making a console game, you have to go through Sony or Microsoft. There's right. the time it takes to upload your code to them, have it processed, Ugh. and then deployed to everybody. And you just can't get fixes out fast enough.
0: I, I, I mean, I don't fully know, but it sounds like having to code with such a gun to your head sounds really, really stressful. Yeah, I mean... I, mean, I could see nobody, getting lost in
2: it. Yeah, and, and honestly, it's like nobody's got a gun to their head. It's like everybody puts... Well, everybody's like got the gun to their own heads because, yes, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, it's, you're so, you know, you've worked so hard for like three years to get a game out. You put it wow. out and it's born and, you know, then there's like some game breaking bug and it's just full court press until you can actually fix it. And sometimes <sighs> like, sometimes things aren't that easy to fix, you know, and and it's like the bigger your game and the bigger the franchise and the bigger your community and the more people that play it the more pressure there is so i'm sure a game like yeah. i don't know like a game that has 100 million people playing it their pressure is very different from a game that has you know 5000 people playing it you know it's oh, uh, a yeah. totally different ball game
0: wow yeah it's interesting too like i feel like a lot of hearing you talk about your side of like making them in that experience, like a lot of it, I'm like relating to comedy and making like videos and stuff like that. Like the, like accidentally being funny. Sometimes you gear into that, like instead of an accidental bug, that ends up being great. You'll accidentally be funny and you end up following that. But a game breaking bug is not a thing you deal with ever. Like that is such a nightmare exclusive to making video games or coding. It is,
2: it is. And, and, you know, the bigger the game, like the more, the more complex, you know, things are, and the more people that play your game, there is no test team that could ever be big enough to truly find everything that a hundred million people would find oh like, yeah once once you've got millions with their hands on the game and they're playing it the way they play it and you're outside of like a uh, this sort of testing environment um, you know they will they will dig up some crazy stuff and because of social media they can amplify something so fast, like when something weird is broken, maybe it's really hard to get a certain bug to happen, but all it takes is one streamer to get a video and then to put it up on Twitter and Instagram and all the social media or do a YouTube video on it. And the next thing you know, some really weird, insignificant bug becomes right in everybody's faces. And now you're like scrambling to fix some Uh. bug that you like, you have to do some really weird stuff to get to because of just how visible it is.
1: Do you have a favorite? Uh, I've spoken fondly of like Telesto Report and some of the other really crazy bug report, you know, bugs that have shown up in games. Is there a specific Warzone bug that's like, man, that was wild? Oh, man. Um, As as weird and unexpected as this issue's Nestor's Adventures, perhaps.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the only... (laughs) I feel like uh, from the moment, like from the moment we launched that game until like my very last day on the game, we were constantly, you know, working to fix stuff. But the thing that really stands out to me about about Warzone and, and Modern Warfare is that imagine launching a giant battle royale game, like wh- something that's going to become one of the biggest games in the industry. Imagine that you launch it on a Wednesday. And then Friday, everybody's packing up and going home because of the right. pandemic. And, and now everybody is basically away from the office right after your game has launched. And everybody's at home and the entire like world's internet and infrastructure is being pressed to its limits. And you've got to fix a bug. You've got to deploy a patch. But now you have to worry about taking down the worldwide global internet infrastructure in order to deploy a patch.
1: Yeah. Cause and, the install size of that game is not insignificant. Oh man. Like sure that's the probably the,
2: too. that is the craziest thing I've ever experienced that first week in work from home. The first time we deployed a patch, when everybody was at home, when all the companies didn't expect to have to deliver, you know, <laughs> that much information to people at their homes. It was insane. It was totally insane. Like before the pandemic, it is every game maker's dream. Anybody who's working on a massively multiplayer game, it's your dream to break the internet. You're like, oh my God, like <laughs> Warcraft, like or like some other game, yeah. like that comes out, everybody's playing it, all the servers crash, people's internet is going wonky, and you're like, yeah, we broke the internet. <laughs> now now, imagine that everybody's home and depending on their internet for work and for keeping the worldwide infrastructure up. And imagine you break the internet then. And you're like, oh, oh my God. What? Oh, 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 wait. I oh, no. mean, like, millions of kids can't do online school and people can't report to work and like critical things aren't ha- Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's it wild. is not a celebration. It yeah, is not that is a celebration. Wild. Wow. But all that got worked out, all that kind of stuff got sorted, but it was, uh, nobody really talks about like what it was like for every video game maker, the first month of the pandemic, like anytime they released something, you know, and there wasn't a lot at the time, like there was, there was kind of like a small scope of games coming out at that time. And so if you're one of the handful of games that everybody's playing during the pandemic, like, Warzone, animal crossing fortnite like you everybody's depending on your game and yet the same thing that everybody's depending on like if you want to update it and do other things with it you're like how do we deliver all this content what time of the day can we release this patch and not ruin australia or not ruin the uk <laughs> or not ruin the us <laughs> <laughs> it wow, all got yeah. sorted out. It all got worked out, but that was the craziest, craziest window of time in my entire like gaming history. You know, it had nothing to do with our actual game, but everything to do with our game and the impact of patch releases.
1: Hey, I played a lot of Warzone at the beginning of the pandemic, like a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. Next up, a, not especially astounding looking version of Smash TV uh, for the NES. And like, I mean, the other thing about this version is uh, if you want your eight way directional fire, you got to use two controllers. (laughs) So, Hey, maybe pick up that uh, super Nintendo one so that you have those face buttons that can be your directions at least.
0: Yeah. This doesn't seem like the right way to play Smash TV.
2: Yeah. The general, the general rule is, um, when you have a fighting game, you want to fight the opponent and not your controller.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Speaking yeah. of, a uh, uh, fighting uh street fighter on super Nintendo though, did you have a fight stick or did you just uh, rough it with the controller and the shoulder buttons?
2: I roughed it with the controller and the shoulder buttons. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just kind of picked it up, figured it out. Uh, and especially like when I transitioned to like, and I was playing like mortal Kombat too. And mm. you know, you want to do all of those combos and get all of the like, you know, the gory stuff to happen. And it would make things so complicated on the pad. But yeah. uh Yeah, I had you know, when you played on a on a joystick, you would like the palm of your hand sometimes, like when you were playing something really sweaty, you know, yeah. you'd start to get like, like a blister. Like a, a blister on on your hand from the from the um, from the joystick. I will take that any day over the kinds of blisters I would get on my fingers when I was playing games on my Super Nintendo because it would be like the yeah. sides of your thumbs, uh. in like the most painful little spots. You'd get these little blisters and things, and you're like, ah.
0: It was that, and the um, Nintendo sixty four controller <laughs> had the a really like kind of rough joystick, and that thing would freaking blister up your hand. I, I remember there's like a Mario Party mini game where you had to spin it with your hand. And that would create uh. like, legitimate just palm oh, yeah. blusters.
2: And like kids don't realize like you don't have to like smash the buttons. But when you're younger, <laughs> yeah. you get so into it. So you're just like you're just like destroying that controller <laughs> until your thumbs are like practically bleeding.
0: Yep. You know, uh, my only other thing on Smash TV is um, uh, it's very much like an old school God of War, like violent babe vibe. And I would love a uh, <laughs> I would love a re... I'd love a sequel that's like also like a mature God of War sequel where it's uh, a father and son get sent to Smash TV
1: and they like <laughs> they, they reconcile with their past. Oh, that's such a good I'd never considered before, but you're totally right. Smash TV or its unofficial sequel, Total Carnage, needs that uh, needs that dad gamer thing. <laughs> Let's get some uh, Last of Us, but it's Smash TV. This needs a
0: father-son story (laughs) in it. Uh. (laughs) Okay, that's it.
1: Uh, Do you guys want to skip classified info? Do you have anything in there?
2: I mean, no, but like Jackie Chan. How about that?
1: Jackie Chan's (laughs) action kung fu. Doesn't even look like him.
2: It's just a
0: game called Jackie Chan. Were there movies called I don't think
2: I ever, I don't remember this at
1: all.
0: That's wild. It's I mean, is there, is there a movie called Jackie Chan or is this
1: just a video game called? He had a cartoon, but that was years after the, like in the late nineties, there was a or early two thousands, there was a Jackie Chan adventures cartoon.
2: Yeah. I'm trying to think about like the very first big, let's see, Rumble in the Bronx was probably the biggest sort of breakout U S movie for Jackie Chan in the beginning that like put his name on the map. And I, I can't remember when that came out, but I'm, has it really been that long for Jackie Chan? Was this like the height of his, the craziness? He was
1: definitely, I think he was still a Hong Kong star at this point. So this, this has got to be a port, right? This has got to be a Japanese game that they released
2: here. they're like, ah, people know him enough. Okay. So Rumble in the Bronx did not even come out until 1995 in Hong Kong.
1: This has got to be a Romance of the Three Kingdoms situation where it's like they just kept making romance games. Um, It's historical China, right? And they, Americans, uh, I mean, they're they're like such huge games that they brought them over here as like a niche thing is kind of my take on that series. But yeah, back in the day, you know, those games were everywhere on uh,
2: NES and Super NES yeah, I'm still, I'm still blown away by it. Like I, I, I wish, I wish this game was out like right after I saw Rumble in the Bronx. Cause I'd be like, Oh, the Jackie Chan game. Come on, let's go. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to, I'm going to use my jacket to beat the shit out of you right now.
1: <laughs> oh man. What are the odds the game actually has something cool like that in it though? It probably
2: doesn't, but it should. <laughs> yeah. that should be like Jackie Chan's signature move and everything. He beats you up with his jacket or your jacket. <laughs> it's it's unlockable
1: in the tech tree. There's a whole jackets branch, and uh, you start out using your jacket. But the highest tier is like you can just command a jacket to come to you and use that. So you just yeah, like hold like your a,
0: hand up and jackets come. It's like a Doctor Strange cape jacket.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, we have uh, my new favorite game, Kickmaster. Um, as I said previously, the problem with Kickmaster is he doesn't kick far enough. <laughs> Uh, a weak kick yeah it turns out you can actually this game okay I was kind of impressed like the production value of the game is really good for an NES game and the kick distance is very disappointing because it's like shorter than most enemies attacks Um, but when you kill an enemy they spit out three um, power ups in an arc so you normally only have time to grab one of them but as you get Leveled up in the game, you have the ability to kill enemies from above and then you get all three. It, it's uh feels like a little it's like a slightly more modern game mechanic than I was expecting.
2: <laughs> I just want to know if he does anything other than kick. Um, <laughs> he do, he does I hope not. He, he does have a knee drop. I mean, it's in the kick family. <laughs> the <laughs> yes. knee drop. It's within the kick family. but I'm just listening to you go, Kickmaster has a really disappointing kick. But I'm like, he does. Wow, they really did hang their hat on the whole kick thing, and for <laughs> the one feature that needed to be great, to be less than impressive, it just sounds like they should have called it kick. One of, okay,
1: so one of my favorite unsung uh, SNES games is Run Saber, which is uh, kind of a Strider alike is how I describe it, where you have energy swords that are definitely not lightsabers. And when you even the lowest powered one has a nice little good arc in front of you. and if Kickmaster had that kicking arc, I bet this game would be super fun. So when they do Kickmaster 2 in like 1992 or three, I really hope that they clean up their act.
0: Yeah,
2: just gotta make the kicks better. <laughs> <laughs> I would like I would like them to set up why he only kicks because I feel like it's a waste of arms. I'm just saying. Well, you don't got the reach with the arms. It'd be even worse. I know. But then what happens when people get really, really close, Mm. (laughs) you know, I mean, it's just, is he just married to only the legs? Like, does he have to just sort of figure out like, you know, what he does with his feet only at all. T- like, yeah. Was this guy, did he have like a challenge? Did a buddy bet him? Like, I'll bet you could only, I'll bet you can't use just your legs to defeat these guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I want the first cutscene to be him driving his car with his legs. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's a, uh, he's an arm model, so he, d- he can't afford to get his arms jacked up. See, I want that backstory that, that's interesting. Boy, that, that would be uh every cutscene in a Kickmaster video game is him modeling with the arms, and then you get money you can spend to upgrade your kicks. <laughs> ship it, ship it. I need to play this. I, that's a game, man. I really do. Like I,
0: I like I wanna know this guy's backstory really bad. Like this if this was like a very narrative driven,
1: all about why he only kicks, I would be so on board. Brett. If you build that uh, Twine alike that choose your own adventure website, I will write a Kickmaster fiction story for it. choose your own choose your own Kickmaster story. Hell yeah! Oh. Yeah, we got to do that. I will build oh, man. it. Man,
2: I, I I get a feeling that 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 story is going to become canon. I, I feel got I got like <laughs> it's going to become part of the Kickmaster canon. I can't wait. It's my time little, to shine. A little fanfic that becomes.
0: I don't think it's out of the question that we could buy the rights to Kickmaster. I think.
2: (laughs) 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 They're going to pay you for the rights. Please. please. Kickmaster the series. (laughs) This property has been an albatross around our necks for for two decades. (laughs) I'll pay
1: you to take the Kickmaster
2: franchise off my hands. Oh, I'm sorry. Three decades. Three decades of Kickmaster.
0: Their office is like the Charlie Day like string meme of like uh it's just them trying to figure out why he only kicks and they still have not figured it out
1: next up we got worm journey to the center of the
2: earth this game was all right right i don't know yeah, I, got I don't it. have anything about it i got I mean, nothing i i'm looking at page two and i'm feeling like here's the origin story for a lot of like half the creatures you saw in destiny
1: oh hell yeah <laughs> hell they yeah are, look at all of them
2: that's all I got. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm down to uh, shoot by a worm here.
1: Centerfold. Uh, unlike the art for the Nestor comic, I actually love this F-Zero centerfold with kind of the uh, the American comics line art style. I think this looks pretty rad. F-Zero, Captain Falcon, that's all.
0: I always love when games that wouldn't, especially at this time, wouldn't necessarily have character to them. Add There's, like, a lot of charm and personality to it. It's just with, I don't know, it's Captain Falcon, and every racer has, like, a name, and,
1: like, it almost has, like, a, uh, a pro wrestling vibe to it. It's <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's just fun. He's the only one who really made it out, isn't he? Because they put him in Smash.
0: Yeah, Smash Brothers really keeps characters relevant. <laughs> I don't think he'd be around otherwise. <laughs>
2: Samurai Goro looks like he's wearing like one of those old-timey football helmets.
1: <laughs> he does. <laughs> uh,
2: Pico and Doctor Stewart
1: are so generic uh, that it's really just Samurai Goro and Captain Falcon could uh, could stand out here. I don't know yeah. a lot of F Zero lore. I don't either. I know the Mute City theme. I don't know. I don't know what these people are doing. <laughs>
0: One it like the first 3D games though. They...
1: At the time seeing this and like the Mode 7 stuff in Mario World was pretty unbelievable. Like just the huge sprites and the better sound and it really did feel like this huge generational leap. Yeah. I could see that. We are here. Okay, so they have a big old feature on Super Nintendo games. They're covering Castlevania 4, which I think still holds up. That's really good Castlevania. And you can whip in eight directions, which they never did again. It's just this one. Huh? Uh, yeah. All, all the, you know, what happened is when Symphony of the Night hit, they're just like, nope, this is what we're doing. And uh, Symphony of the Night, you, you don't even have. Yeah, it's just whipping left and right, or sorting left and right, if you will. If you're yeah, playing uh, a
0: carte. I'm kind of intimidated to play a Castlevania game because I'm so worried I'm just going to be lost the whole time. Just I, play I get Symphony, lost very- man. Okay. Yeah, maybe I'll have to try that at some point.
2: I'm like deep in my brain, going down a rabbit hole with the uh, NES Achievers page right here. <laughs> oh yeah, we can talk about that. Oh yeah, I think it's. It, I I just can't believe like I'm realizing how hard it must have been for like the one guy who owned putting this page together. It's the most manual thing you could ever imagine, right? Yeah. There's no online leaderboards. It's like people who yeah. really want to be in this have To score a crazy score, like take a picture of their screens,
1: yeah. Without, and, flash. and it's not like
2: they can't, there's no phone to use to take your picture, yeah. At this time, you're you have to go get a camera and then you have to go and get your film, like <laughs> <laughs> you gotta you, gotta drop you, if you don't off the have, roll. You don't have, you have a Polaroid, go <laughs> you
1: gotta hope that you exposed it correctly.
2: I know, and so all these people were crazy enough. To go through the process of taking pictures of their high scores, going and getting their f- photos made, then taking their photo, putting it in an envelope, sending it like snail mail to Nintendo. <laughs> and then the guy, and then there's some guy on the other end. This must be like the entry level job. You're going to be in charge of all the top scores. <laughs> it's oh, like man. working in the mail room at an agency. And he's just yeah, opening yeah. Them, looking at pictures. Maybe he can read it, maybe he can't. It's not like these cameras could get really good like <laughs> picture of these scores, right? Then he's got to get the name right. So you got the name, where they're from, he's got to write in the high scores and they've and they're for all these different games. Like some of them, like I'm looking here at Princess Tomato in the Salad Kingdom and there's one guy Oh yeah. with with like a like finished. It's like I mean, I've got this one. I only got one for this game.
1: Yeah, Total Recall's just got one. The Immortals just got one. Wait, Final Fantasy Legend. Half of these games are just... The high score is just
0: finishing the game. One person finished the Salad Kingdom. (laughs) That's wild. We played that.
1: We know why that is.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's honestly impressive that he finished it.
1: I'm struck by, uh, like, Dr. Mario, you've got a whole bunch of scores in the six figures, like 230,000 to about 427. Then our top player, Peggy Wybush... 2.5 2.5 million points. It's like this uh, huge jump. And that happens in a
2: couple of others too. I didn't really notice yeah, that before. There is one person that that really took the game to the next level, and then the next level after that, and then several levels beyond that. Yep. When they got helicoptered all the way to the top after that. Uh, and then there's everybody else. <laughs> I would just like to throw out massive props to every single person. <laughs> that was crazy enough to take the photo and send it in. And then the poor person over at Nintendo Power who had to like collate all that mail every month like this is his life, opening mail, looking yeah, at pictures a- and putting it all together.
0: <laughs> How many That's a great point. That it's a nightmare job probably. Yeah, or at least entry level, man.
1: Think of like the fake submissions they got that they had to filter out. Think of all the liars that tried to write it. <laughs>
0: I mean, if I'm the guy, like I'm picturing some person working this job, just not caring. Just, ah, I don't care if it's fake. Uh, Put put it in. Like,
2: ah, we need this verified by at least two different people. (laughs) It's
1: SimCity. Um, Honestly, I've been thinking a lot about SimCity hitting the system and it being like, like complex like sim game they still make stuff like this now and to be able to play stuff like this and populace on like a console it feels cool you know because this is an emergent game you know you find the gameplay as you're trying to build the city out and uh, yeah i don't think there was that much stuff like this before you know you probably get it on like the amiga or like on pcs but definitely <laughs> not. All. On a console,
0: yeah, it was. In, it was a pretty good port, if I remember. Like, I think I played this a little bit as a kid, and like not disliking it. Like, it felt like it worked.
2: See, I would be really curious. Like, I'd be really, really curious to know because I played SimCity on my Amiga, and I was addicted to that game. There was nothing else like it when it came out, and I was so hooked to that game. But it, you're right; it was really complex. It was made for keyboard and mouse, like a hundred percent. And yes and it is so hard to translate a really detailed rts you know yep. a real time strategy game to to a console you know i'm just thinking about even on the switch like yeah i saw that civilization 4 was available on the switch and i right? picked it up and i'm like oh that was that was a mistake yep that was I, like so impossible to play that game on. I think there's on my sometimes Switch.
0: it is impressive at how close they can get. Like um, the kind of like Boulder Gate style games are pretty okay on them, but still you have that level of like I should probably just pay, play this on the computer.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like the Baldur's Gate stuff uh, works because um, you know I'm thinking about the way that they translated that. Like on on um, PlayStation, you had uh, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance, and they were just like, Hey, we're just going to simplify this and make this a button mashing action. You know, action RPG game. You know, yeah, so Blizzard and that's got what like Diablo, right?
1: Diablo, yeah, yeah. Like, make it more Diablo like Diablo controller
2: setup is actually really slick. Yeah, but think about how far ahead like Baldur's Gate: Dark Alliance was on the console, because even even Diablo didn't you know translate to a console and make their console experience until like Diablo three. Yeah, it was like 2014, 2015. They probably kept the
0: console in mind when making that as well, right? It's not like well,
2: they had to like because because uh, Snowblind Studios they did uh, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance, then they did Champions of Norath, which was another like action RPG. You saw like um, you know Activision and Marvel put put out uh, Marvel Ultimate Alliance and right uh, X Men Legends. Like before that, you know, because that was how you do that style game. But it really took forever for Blizzard to. F- finally embrace that console.
1: When even like, man, I played a bunch of Diablo three on controller. Cause it really is fun co-op, but like you compare that to like the Marvel game where inventory is very limited from what I remember. It's kind of like you slot in a replacement helmet or whatever, or powers over the old one. If you're playing Diablo three, you got to take turns popping up the menu to junk all your stuff that you got. Like it's still pretty clunky.
2: you know you're talking about like same same couch yeah uh, couch co-op diablo
1: is not it's not great but if you
2: play it online and you guys like jump in from your own homes like that stuff's really really simple so i think they did a really good job of thinking about that game from you know not same couch co-op but from the just overall multiplayer experience i think you know nothing really comes close to it in that genre I yeah. don't know. I'm, I'm really yeah.
1: hoping with uh, Diablo 4, they, uh, they force you to use a phone app and your laptop as you're playing <laughs> on a console. That's the experience I want. <laughs> and a VR headset.
2: <laughs> and <Yeah>. Google Glasses.
1: <laughs> not that I'm uh, poking, uh, pointing a finger at another game. I'm not doing that at all. The Destiny. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, try-
0: I'm trying to think if there's any like RTS that works on the console. Halo Wars maybe.
1: Pikmin. Um Pikmin. Yeah, okay. Fi- this version of Final Fight, I remember playing and being blown away by it cuz the sprites are huge, but it's got a couple of really huge problems. One, the third player is the third character is not even the game. You can't play as Guy. It's just Mayor Mike Hagger and Cody our boy Cody. And when they put Guy into the game, they re-released Final Fight as Final Fight Guy they took Cody out and just put guy in <laughs> like, <laughs> and worse. Both of those games from what I remember are not two player. It's a single player version of a two player arcade game, which is just, oh, man, just disappointing all the way down.
0: Is, and this is like, I, I, that's something that took me a while to realize like these kind of like beat 'em up games. Um, they're kind of, right, they're kind of, like, about just being with a friend and just kind of talking while you play, and you just kind of, like, mindlessly bash things. Oh, yeah. So it's weird playing it in, like, a single-player experience as well, like, uh, kind of loses the yeah. purpose to some degree.
2: It's so strange, because, like, this is, like, that decade, all the 90s was the, you know, in, in very early 2000s, it was all about that same couch co-op experience, yeah. Like every one yeah. of these games, there was no connecting online and playing multiplayer games. Like your multiplayer game was you sitting down with your buddy and having a blast. And the fact that they put out a co-op game that was single player. <laughs> How many disappointed friends started hanging out? Like, I picked up Final Fight, come on over and watch me play.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it there's a couple of examples with really early SNES games where they were having a lot of trouble with the Getting, getting it to run well on the system because Gradius, Gradius 3, Gradius, Gradius um, has really bad slowdown, you know, the, the shooter. Uh, and they actually kind of built the gameplay around that where they assumed you would have the slowdown to kind of make the game a little bit easier. And, uh, you know, nowadays, if you were to go uh, acquire a ROM for Gradius, you can get a ROM hack where they fake putting in one of the supplemental chips like one of the math co-processors from like Konami to make it run faster. And it makes the game so much more difficult because it just wasn't supposed to run at full speed.
0: Oh, ha. Huh. So they like, it wasn't running well. And they're like, okay, well, this is how it's going to run. <laughs> We're not getting exactly. better. this. Let's design around that. That's, that's very interesting.
1: Yeah, it's like the, there was a lot to, because then, then you get to stuff like, I mean, there's fast, chaotic shooters on the SNES. They definitely like, uh, was it Axle? you've got, I mean, Contra three, obviously. Um, I mean the Super Nintendo is such an interesting
0: system hardware wise, how like each game had different chips in it. Uh, depending on like the car- the cartridge you had, had, they'd have all have different interiors, which was so cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Sorry. It's it's a d- the, you had the different cart sizes which dictated, you know, really how much of game you could get and how much game could be made and there were different <laughs> price points for them too. It's not like if you got like the smaller cart, I I'm pretty sure there had to be different price points. Oh it. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if
1: so, you're okay. getting the new cart and you're putting your own chip on it and you know, getting permission from Nintendo to build the board, all of a sudden your manufacturing cost at the game of the game is like $26 or something. So you got to sell it for 80 to even just break even
0: really. Cause I, I, guess I never had an experience like this. Would, would there be games that were like way more expensive? Like, like nowadays everything's, you know, $60 if it's AAA in general or 70 now, but like, would you have games for like, holy shit, this one's like 90 bucks to buy. Is, is that a thing?
2: I don't ever remember seeing a game as 90 bucks, but, um, I think if we were to go back and look at it, I'll bet you there were a couple different price points depending on what, um, you know, which chip was you know, the size of the game, I imagine.
1: Yeah, it was like famously if it was a big RPG like a Final Fantasy III or a fantasy star or something, you know, on Genesis, you would see where it's like, oh dang, that that's way more expensive than the other games. I was just looking at some old bad this buy was, ads.
2: This is the $39 game versus your $29 game or something like okay. that.
1: Okay. Player pull content my brothers in Christ, do you want to go see the American Gladiators? (laughs) Did you, did I was, because this was like
0: a show a little before my time, uh, but a show I've always been extremely interested in. Did either of you have experience watching American Gladiators slash liking it or having a feeling towards it?
2: Hell yeah. I watched it a few times for sure. (laughs) It's got these,
1: so when it started out, the budget was pretty limited, so the arenas that they would play in were pretty uh, lo-fi, but man, later on, it started to get into pretty crazy, giant pugil stick platform territory and stuff, and uh, this show was super awesome. Uh, Man, I'm so jealous. I had- uh Tennis ball cannons. (laughs) Man.
0: Because yeah, my version of this was most extreme challenge M X C, but that's not even like a true game show. Like you don't really like follow them because it's like a dub of a Japanese thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, American Gladiators created a whole new genre of of television. You know, like uh, you watch now, like the Titan the Titan Games or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, What what is what is uh, what is that one game where people have to do those like crazy obstacle courses? America Ninja Warrior. Yeah, Yeah, American American Ninja 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 Warrior. Warrior, Like, none of these would exist if it wasn't for American Gladiator. Like, this show was such cheese. Like, they'd get these (laughs) really – they'd literally get these, like – I feel like if it was made today, it would be, like, the American Gladiators would all be these crazy fitness models that you see on Instagram doing insane things. Yeah. Yeah, they they wouldn't be as hulked out as they were. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is all, like – (laughs)
1: <laughs> the these steroid
2: people- era of yeah, the gladiators are all they're all roided out bodybuilders they're all oh yeah. fucking huge they don't they're look so human. huge but you know and then uh, what you like everyday people would come and compete against these just monsters and it would <laughs> be, like they, they would frequently
1: be fit Every man, it would be like a police officer a firefighter you know it'd be like like strong fit people and they would just get rocked by these giant muscle-bound bodybuilders um as a guy uh jason
0: who's very into fitness is there a party that ever fantasizes being in these like would you be like man i like the idea of being this guy who can jump from ledge to ledge and parkour is that cool in your head
2: I mean it's really fun watching other people do very amazing dangerous things. Yeah. <laughs> when I think about like myself and like what I want to do. I mean maybe if you asked me in my 20s if I felt differently about that, but like you're talking to somebody who's, you know, I'm a little bit older, so I'm like this seems a little bit dangerous for me to to essentially to to zip line without being attached to the zip line. Uh, you know, This sounds like something that I would do on a Mexican excursion in like in the Mayan jungle, like zip lining without any safety, which I've done.
0: That is the thing about American Gladiators. Is like I feel like it's old enough where they probably didn't have safety regulations. Like I feel like it's probably more dangerous than
1: the nowadays. It ones. is. There was a lot of pads and stuff. It feels like it was relatively safe. Um, if this was like if there was a show in the 1960s, it would absolutely be like <laughs> zip lining over a steel floor.
2: <laughs> it would be. And I feel like I feel like this was in an era where I feel like showing the really grisly injuries on this family-friendly American gladiator show is probably <laughs> something they didn't do. <laughs> one of the gladiators would- is, uh,
1: does the thing where he breaks the ligament and the muscle inside his skin just pops oh. up into a little
2: ball at his shoulder. Yeah. Oh. We call this the Thizman. <laughs> <laughs> <That one's- laughs> <laughs> <laughs> and this one is the Napoleon McCallum. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, for all the younger folks, uh, don't look up Napoleon McCallum's knee injury and don't look up Joe Theismann's Oof. injury. Uh, just trust us. <laughs>
1: so, so yeah, if
2: you win, you get to go
1: see the Gladiators. Very cool. And then you get to do some of their stunts yourself. So I, I'm really hopeful that one of those <laughs> is the uh, they let you either fire the tennis ball cannon in that arena with the the shields or whatever, or the cover that you have to run between, Yeah, and You know that there was like the winner was this kid who's just like, just shoot me in the stomach point blank with the tennis ball can. I can take it. I can take it.
2: (laughs) This is is where they got the idea for jackass later on. Yeah. And and the gladiator
1: was specifically told not to, but when the parents weren't looking, he did it.
2: (laughs) Wasn't, Wasn't there one, one like segment on American gladiators where like, all you had to do was run past like two gladiators. You just had to get, get beyond mm-hmm. them by that like sounds 50 right. yards or something. And they'd be holding onto those giant pads to like knock you back. And you would just, they, the competitor would run full speed <laughs> and just have to get past like two, 300 pound roided out gladiators. Yeah. <laughs> and the contestant,
1: the contestant <laughs> weighs 225 and has like 8% body fat, but that's not enough.
2: No. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> imagine if I had to like, you know, Defeat the Rock in an arm wrestle. Oh, oh man! Also, they
1: uh, so for the longest time, third prize has been this very mediocre-looking shirt. They upgraded the shirt; it looks great. It's this uh, heather gray shirt with a Nintendo Power logo on the left chest. Looking, yeah, good.
0: that's a better-looking shirt. I agree. That's uh, it's wearable. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Anything on Counselor's Corner? I got to say the, the counselor headshots are uh, pretty pretty boilerplate. These guys look <laughs> like uh, they worked at in the Nintendo call center in
2: 1990. Yeah. 91. I feel like I would like them to define very specifically what a game counselor does.
1: Ah, this is a uh this is like a really fun bit of history. So they had a call center where you could call in to get help with games, so they hired there's, like, hundreds of people to work in this call center, you know, in Seattle. And uh, so they got, like, minimum wage to work in a cubicle farm. And uh, if, you, if you do a little searching online, we've talked about this in the other episodes, but, like, um, the, they'll have uh, people surface every once in a while to do a Reddit AMA or something. And a lot of times they'll show the binder that they had. So they would specialize for a certain segment of games, like, you know... A to L or whatever, and their binder would just be full of hand-drawn and copied maps and stuff, just like deep-cut, how-to-get-through-the-game reference materials. I I would love to go through one of those binders. I had a question,
0: Weston. You you mentioned that you had to um, pay to do it. Were you you paying—was it a service you paid for, or were you paying because you were just doing a phone call?
1: It was a— It was long distance. So if you go to the last page of Counselor's Corner, there's a part where they're like, hey, you can call us. And they give the hours and they give the number. And because it was a long distance number, you had to pay per minute to call them. But
0: but it wasn't like a service that you were paying for. It was just you were paying for the phone call. Exactly. Interesting. That's weird. That's wild that they had this free... I mean, not free, but like they weren't charging people. It was just a group of people... Devoted to supporting
2: kids on video games. This seems like a lot of overhead. It sure yeah. would be great if yeah. they had something like the internet. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I know. It's <laughs> interesting.
0: Like uh, even you, t- you t- mentioning the high scores thing. It's just like everything we take so much for granted nowadays. We required so much work. Uh, back. I know. In the day. I just,
2: I just keep on thinking of the business plan here. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm sitting in a boardroom with a bunch of people going, "I have this idea." A place where any kid could call up and get the answer to any any part of a game where they're stuck or having challenges with, like, what do you think? We're going to create a call center and we're going to hire a hundred people to come and work and they'll just answer phones and, and talk about every game ever right. made ever. And be experts on everything ever. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to pay these people to work at the call center. <laughs> but nobody's going to pay us for this service at all. And it's going to, but we're going to get it back when people buy our magazine.
1: <laughs> I have a theory that I never considered and have not brought up on the podcast before. Do you think the Game Counselors were part of Nintendo's project to deal with the video game crash of 82? Do you think them having a resource, especially for bad janky games, um, helps them deal with the issue back then where it's like, I bought a game that I literally can't finish. And like one part of that is the Nintendo seal of quality where they're like, we actually played these games. They might not be the best looking, but you can go all the way to the end, and it does function. And uh, <laughs> maybe the other part here to give parents some confidence is it's like the game is not going to go to waste because your kid gets stuck.
0: That's that's interesting. Yeah, because I mean, this whole scenario they're in is rebuilding trust uh, to some yeah. degree, right? Yeah, I could see that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's like a dec- almost a decade after, and... You know, the whole point of Nintendo Power is to promote all the games on there. Right. And And to suck up customer data. The the players poll contest, you
1: got to fill out the survey, and they keep (laughs) it all in database.
2: The best part about this podcast is thinking about things I never thought about when buying a Nintendo Power magazine ever before. Like, (laughs) wait a minute. Like, Nintendo owns the magazine, which means they also approved creepy Superman. <laughs> There's a part of me I would love, what does
1: Gail Tilden do now? She's a, uh, not a contractor, but like you can hire her to consult. She's a consultant, right? So she was editor in chief of Nintendo power. And uh, it, it's so weird to think about this magazine. Cause it's one of the biggest magazines in the world at the time, like huge circulation, millions of subscribers. And, um, they kept all the data themselves. They built the magazine internally, and when they started, they would never done a magazine before. So, it's kind of settled now—twenty-something issues in. But like, they were very much learning how to make a magazine while they were also like the biggest magazine,
0: you know, in yeah. the country or one of them. Pretty wild. It's like um, I would love to see the. Um, I keep on doing freaking comedy metaphors. I got to slow down on these, but it's it's like the. Uh, Caddyshack. I want to see the Caddyshack. I, we were just figuring it out, man. It was wild.
1: <laughs> well Of
0: <laughs> making this uh, this magazine.
1: Hey, it's the top thirty. Brett, you want to run us through these top five?
0: Yeah, let's do the top five. All right. So yeah, the for this the sales uh, at number five we got Final Fantasy. Hey. We got at uh, number four Crystalis. Hey, cool, nice-
1: cool niche Zelda. <laughs>
0: Number three, we got Mega Man 3, and then followed at number two, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle 2, the arcade game. And at A number one game, still. I should point out. Undefeated. No one can beat them. Super Mario Bros. 3. It's been there f- for 23 months. I think it fell down once. Why? It's going to be there forever at this point, right? Yeah, I think until Super Nintendo games start popping in.
1: Battletoads down to number 11. Take that, Battletoads. Yikes. Man,
0: for the amount of marketing push they did, not doing well. Uh <laughs> Jason,
1: uh, you got to read that Battletoads comic, man. If you thought this comic was weird, that comic is unhinged in the best way.
0: Oh, yeah. That was awesome.
1: Bring it. Bring it. And and, uh, speaking of, (laughs) so the celebrity profile, (laughs) Uh, we've theorized for a long time now that they just make up all the answers in the celebrity profile because (laughs) everyone (laughs) says the same very specific things about games. Um, and this time they're not even trying to hide that it's just made up marketing for their games because our celebrity is Bart Simpson,
2: who is not
1: a real person. (laughs) That is so, I didn't really think about it in those terms,
0: but yeah, they're truly just folding, like showing their hand that they have never actually interviewed anyone.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's just, uh, it doesn't really speak like Bart Simpson would speaks like a, uh, Somebody at Fox or Nintendo gave the answers. Maybe two yeah, people working together. They're doing they're doing their
0: best, but yeah, they're not really. I wouldn't say they're fully capturing the voice of Bart Simpson in this. Uh.
2: <laughs> I mean, I can. I will tell you, based on my experience, having worked at a studio before on the game side, uh, there was zero understanding of video games whatsoever back in the nineties, it was like, what is this thing here? It was so niche. You know, this is still the time when people were like, Oh, you're a video game nerd, you know? And, and so we were all nerds playing these games. And, and so this is probably what happened. Somebody walked into like the licensing department of like Fox or somewhere. and, Uh And it was like, Hey, Nintendo power wants to do a thing. And, and, and literally it ended on the desk of like, an intern or somebody there Uh, (laughs) you know like (laughs) oh yeah for sure this
0: isn't definitely not not a Simpsons writer (laughs) working here
2: somebody just let the creator know that uh, we're gonna um, you know answer some questions about video games as Bart Simpson (laughs) and just
0: like a nervous I I mean I can picture like some anxious intern is like I have to become Bart Simpson like
2: (laughs) (laughs) It was more along the lines of, I love The Simpsons. I love The Simpsons. I love video games. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. But, this is my chance to rise to the top. I'm going to do the best answers I possibly can. Right away, right away, sir, let me go. Uh, I got oh, to really knock this
1: one out of the park.
0: Yeah. The intern who's wearing a Bark t-shirt <laughs> gets asked to do it. Don't, uh, don't have a cow, man. I, I would like to say, I, maybe I've got one line that I think encapsulates just the quote, like... The tone they have for Bart, but, uh, so they ask Bart, uh, what is your idea for the ultimate vacation? And Bart's response is, I'd like to take my skateboard to the great wall of China and go the distance man.
1: <laughs> like that's the general, that's, that's how they, that's, that's such early Bart. Like, that's their, that's their bullseye line on Bart. Is that, and it's, it's, it's not- like not the, the Bart man era where like Bart was the first breakout star of the Simpsons. I'm,
2: I'm looking everywhere for the eat my shorts. Where's the eat my shorts no, line? Uh, it's, uh,
1: they just like, they
0: don't really like have a voice from, they're just uh, mentioning skateboards and saying man a lot is kind of the, is the tactic here. I mean, <laughs> I'm reading like, hey, doesn't one it doesn't sound response. at all
1: like how Bart is
2: written in the show. It's, it's not even close. I'm meeting with a lot of resistance it's typical of the sort of narrow-mindedness we vision dudes run up against all the time. Like what? <laughs> that's like the, yeah. that
1: Like what? That's, that's early Bard energy, but it's like early Bard energy filtered through a USC grad who's interning at Fox. You know, you know, what, you know what
0: I like the picture is the guy who had just written down all the high scores with all those pictures, and he's just exhausted. <laughs>
1: got handed he got this the job.
2: He has to be Bard. <laughs> 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 they just sent the questions and answers over to Fox and made some intern read it and go, it's okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. So get uh, Conan O'Brien on the pod and ask if it was him. Now uh, he was in the writer's room. So he was actually, but maybe at this point in time, he was an assistant.
0: <laughs> oh, I do have to point out me and Bart have the same initials. Brett. Sheriff, hey, that's Bart true.
1: Simpson. Boom. That's your edit. <laughs> I just want to say one thing about the Pack Watch, and that is that it is almost all licensed games. We are about to enter a dark time. Yeah. <laughs> You're starting off with Tailspin, which is one of the last Capcom Disney licensed games, and uh, those games are on the whole pretty good, but like Tom and Jerry, The Addams Family, The Flintstones, <laughs> Terminator 2, that's dark, man. And then in uh, the side thing, we have Rocky. Another Ninja Turtles game, the Batman Return of the Joker, which is actually, that one's actually good too. Yep. In the Super Nintendo section, we have Home Alone, Ultraman, which I actually love the Ultraman show this is based on. Uh, It was made in Australia in English. It's like total fluke. It shouldn't exist. It was awesome. I mean, it's, it's wild that
0: Home Alone got a video game. Like, that's such, like...
1: It, it got multiple... They're yeah, all terrible. That's, it got that's
0: multiple crazy. bad video games. Like, I don't so, see the video game there.
2: <laughs> there is somebody's job at every studio who tries to get licenses done, where they put together a deck of every single property they have, and they go around to every single game maker pitching their properties and why they should make it and why there should be a video game. Some of these games get made out of, like, um, uh, what's the best way to put this? like, oh, you want to make a Terminator game? Uh, Great. Uh, Go ahead and make a Terminator game, but we're also going to need you to make our ER video game. Like... (laughs) (laughs) uh, They kind of bundle them together. (laughs) Oh, they bundle them. That's so insidious. I mean, occasionally. So, like not <laughs> not often but like they'll push things and they'll push things and they'll push things and like you know like hey do a wild west video game do a do a dallas video game do a <laughs> do a knots landing video game oh hell yes hell yes there's like they will try to sell everything like everything and um it's just it's mind blowing like they try to do a deal like you know, sometimes these deals are like, oh, you know, we're going to bundle all of these licenses together and you'll take all of these licenses and we've smashed this other way in that you guys didn't want. But the deal is contingent on you making at least one video game for all of these properties. So oh, they get man. really creative with all this stuff. Wow. I
1: also, for in, in the list I was running down, there's actually more licenses in here. We have Nolan Ryan's baseball, another RoboCop game. Uh, And of course, the WWF WrestleMania Challenge, X-Men, and uh, I see here Super Battle Tank, which
2: I would argue is a license of the U.S. Army. I'm just blown away by how many of these games are, in fact, licensed.
0: It's also crazy how many, um, like, there will not like, 20 different companies will make Terminator games, right? It's like, there's just so many.
1: Yeah, Terminator has a weird rights situation. If I remember correctly, like Terminator 2, because it's never been like, you know, oh, Warner Brothers has Terminator. So they're doing or Fox has aliens. So they're doing alien games. It's always just like this holding company has this stuff. And um that's why the movies are made by different studios every time and there's the TV show and it's all kind
2: of it's all kind of over all over the place, is how I describe it. Hmm. Yeah, I think it really depends on the property. You know, at the end of the day, sometimes the studio owns a property outright. Other times the creator gets to hold on to all of his, you know, licensing rights. And, um, it really varies property to property.
1: I think the other thing there is, um, nobody knows what to do with Terminator there. That's my hot take for the episode. Uh, Terminator (laughs) ran its course with Terminator two. That's it. You can't James Cameron might be able to take the reins and do something, but it sounds like even he doesn't want to. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. I don't
2: know. I, all I know is that I played a really cool Terminator game at Dave and Buster's uh, not long ago. I was having a blast.
0: Like, was it one of those ones where you have like the, it's like a shooter game, like you have your gun yeah. you're shooting into the screen? Yeah. Yeah, I was
2: having a blast. I
0: was
1: having fun. Oh, and to stay uh, in your troop mate's good graces, Jason, I just want to say I really loved Todd Stashwick's turn as a Terminator in the Terminator TV show. <laughs> I thought that was a really good episode.
2: I went to I went to high school with a guy also who got to uh, be a Terminator on one of the like on one of the I think the first couple of those episodes. Kevin Wiseman. Okay, I was just like I was just like, oh my god, Kevin, you're a Terminator. That's hilarious. <laughs> if only if only the world knew how short he was.
1: <laughs> oh wait, I was gonna say we're done with the magazine, but in the coming next month section, did you guys see the dear readers down here after three years of writing Nestor scripts? I thought it was time for you fans to get a glimpse behind all of the glamor and glitz. The guy's been writing the Nestor comics, Scott Peligan, Peland, (laughs) Scott Peland. Let me try that name again. Not Peligan. Um, He's, he talks about how they write the Nestor comics, and I, I just wonder if there's any uh, knowledge we can glean after seeing what happens on the other side, the finished product, so many times.
0: Oh, wow, I, I totally missed this.
1: So did I, yeah. <laughs> uh, along the way, three or four drafts and input from the other Power Writers' useful comments like, Scott, I think you've completely lost it this time, <laughs> are standard. He's, he's getting that every... <laughs> he's like, this means I'm doing good work. The 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 critical comments are part of the it's part of the charm. The bug is a feature. <laughs> they even know that that he's writing just absurdity. He's written all the scripts. It's his fault. Everything is wow. his fault. And the people, of Voyager Communications, to do the art. And then we we mentioned that there's a, a there's a Western artist that is Art Nichols, who's been drawing Nestor for the past six months, sketches the roughs and final So the Superman is his fault. Wait the
2: guy who's doing the art is named art hell yeah <laughs> it's so meta
1: <laughs> scott i just want to say if you're listening thank you
0: yeah honestly <laughs> i don't know i don't know what to say honestly
2: <laughs> we're we're all just like i there's i it's so layered
0: <laughs>
2: it's so layered and deep
1: Oh, man. Boys, girls, and NBs. That's the magazine. That's
0: it. We're done.
1: Hey, we made it. Uh, Jason, we end every episode by rating... uh, We used to do Howard and Nestor, but we got to figure out what we're doing now because it's just Nestor in the comics. So what would you guys like to apply our ratings to? Rate something 1 to 10. There's nothing crazy here. I I mean, we could rate Nestor, but who else do we rate alongside him? Maybe... (laughs)
0: I'd rate I'd the, cowboy, the
1: Cowboy Kid, one out of ten. All right. The Nestor, The <laughs> Cowboy Kid, and um, maybe we could also rate... Uh, oh, oh, Creepy Superman, of course. Creepy yeah, Superman creepy means Superman. a one out of oh, ten. Creepy sure. Superman. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Let's, let's get some uh, one to ten ratings from everybody. Um, Brett, do you want to go first?
0: Yeah, I can go first. Uh, uh, I, I think Nestor... Really, really shit the bed on this one. I think he didn't know how to do the air (laughs) guitar, and he just spun on his head. So I got to give him like a 2 out of 10 for this comic. Uh, Yeah. The cowboy kid. (laughs) I mean, he thought it was a rodeo. He went to the air guitar contest thinking it was a rodeo. uh, Classic mix-up.
1: Classic joke structure to have a cowboy misunderstanding something.
0: I Honestly, I do have a very soft spot spot for him specifically, so I'll go 7 out of 10. And okay. creepy Superman, I don't think deserves a number, so I'm gonna give him like, I'm gonna give him one slobbery chewed up finger out of ten.
1: <laughs> okay, all
2: right, uh, Jason, would you like to go next? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I think that, uh, I mean, I, I'm not gonna mince words here. I think Superman <laughs> saves the day uh, without a doubt. I, I think this comic was a train wreck until Superman showed up fraudering yeah. himself in the, in the next door phone booth. I think that he gets a 10 out of 10 All right. for being a creepy lurker. All right. I think that the cowboy kid is like forgettable at best. Um, I think that he's got himself a solid 0 out of 10 for just oh. being at the wrong place at the wrong time, wow. not adding anything to anything here. Um. It honestly, like, I think rather than me even rating Nestor, I think I'm just going to give Abe Lincoln a uh, a solid a solid ten out of ten for those sweet ass moves at the end. All you right. Know? So so Lincoln's going to get a ten. Nestor, look, <laughs> Nestor is really just the vehicle which takes us to Superman and Abe Lincoln. So yeah. as 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 the. As the one through line, I'm going to give Nestor a five for just being right down the middle. yeah, solid right down. Except for the breakdancing thing, which I think could have nearly been a tragedy and would have been amazing to see. Like, if the comic ended with him cracking his head, like, like just dying right there, like, we just end on that panel and he's just dead. Like, that's a 10 out of 10 because we wouldn't have expected it. Are the rest of the, the
1: Nestor's adventures run as he's in a wheelchair?
2: I mean, no, I think, like... I think it's just, just, just everything is a eulogy after that. Everybody <laughs> gives a Nestor eulogy for the next, you know, I'm by you, Billy. This is what
1: Nestor would be doing if he was doing a comic about my And game. then um, a. Af- uh, a, per-
0: a person gives a eulogy and every eul- eulogy is buttoned by an air guitar.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah I think. but here's here's the amazing thing like so we still get to experience nestor through these eulogies because here are people that get to tell stories about nestor that maybe we haven't seen before so oh, we yeah. get to go back in time and re-experience nestor that know, would before be wild. he broke his neck so, really a missed opportunity here I- yeah and we'll get to see superman make appearances you know in other weird places and locations like <laughs> one time he's like you know, Nestor can't get his cat out of a tree. And then you pan up and you see like creepy Superman holding a cat, you know, over his like crotch, covering him up because he's like naked hiding out in a tree. Wearing (laughs) those tidy whities.
0: Yeah. I want to go through every past comic. I feel like it's going to become like, where's Waldo? There's a creepy Superman somewhere in the background of one shot.
2: Every single, every single time there's going to be a really weird Z man. somewhere.
1: (laughs) Amazing. Those are great ratings. Um, To, uh, To bring in another thing that I think is important, I I would like my ratings to be of my favorite three guest appearances in Nestor Comics over the years. Um, So, yeah, Superman obviously has to go in there. Uh, Let's see. I'm going to give... So I find him disturbing, but I really wish (laughs) all three panels had been of him. So I'm going to dock some points for them not being enough of... uh, What is a reverse voyeur? Uh, uh, When somebody wants you to... Exhibitionist. Exhibitionist Superman. (laughs) Reverse voyeur. Reverse (laughs) voyeur Superman. (laughs) That sounds like a really weird video game. Uh, Reverse (laughs) voyeur Superman. Reverse voyeur Superman. It's like Hello Neighbor, but you want the neighbor to watch you. Uh, (laughs) Oh no, he he saw me and found me. Anyways, uh, yeah, he gets a four out of ten. I got to like... The the two other important guests that come to mind are of course the volleyball hunks, uh who are two of my favorites. Those guys get solid oh, eights out of ten. Going to pass yeah, okay, pass comments. Yeah, I'm, I'm like thinking of like the pa- of all the past issues, my my favorite like uh guest appearances. So the volleyball hunks are definitely in there. The volleyball yeah, hunks absolutely.
0: Who
1: played really rough volleyball and beat the shit out of Nestor. That was real fun. <laughs> um and then of course my my top uh my top of all time is uh the duck <laughs> the duck from the DuckTales comic. Uh, <laughs> solid ten out ten out of ten all the all still a all ten out of ten. I major respect Forever. there. I, I kind
0: of feel like I'm on my own island here enjoying the cowboy kid, but I I, I can accept that.
2: Uh Cowboy Kid's a solid two out of ten. <laughs> uh, I just wanna know, like if you had to do the VO for the cowboy kid, what would he sound like? Oh Shax yeah, I thought this was cowboy competition. <laughs>
0: Oh, oh boy! Yeah, it's it's, it's got to be a very weak
1: boy. He's like frail.
0: Oh my! I thought <laughs> he has
1: the uh, the lung capacity of an eighty five year old.
2: I was at a rodeo. Hello, everybody.
0: <laughs> it just starts hacking, just coughing uncontrollably for like two
1: minutes. <laughs> <laughs> ha- I caught him
2: a wow. in my throat
1: <laughs> I may not be strong but I love the old west
2: <laughs> y- you know what would make this better uh, if, I, if only I could spend some time with Superman
1: oh no <laughs> dude Jason thank you so much for coming on the podcast yeah thanks so much man
0: this is great Do, you got,
1: do we? is there anything you want to plug is there
2: a place people can find you Uh, yeah. You could just find me uh, on my Instagram, Jason underscore Addis. Uh, You can find me on Facebook. Same name, same dude. Oh, wait, no, there's actually one other Jason Addis that's out there. And he's from Canada and he does finance. He's my social media bizarro version of me. But yeah, if you see the guy doing pull-ups, it's me. (laughs) Great. Well thanks so much. Keep playing games. Keep playing games. That's all I have to say. Because thanks for keeping me employed.
0: Perfect. Well it was really cool getting some inside looks. Uh, I'm glad someone in the gaming industry knows who Nestor is now.
2: I feel like that (laughs) that is important. Pretty soon it'll be everybody. (laughs) If you have me back, we're gonna act out one of these comics. It's gonna be (laughs)
1: out. The Now You're Playing With Podcast podcast is brought to you by the Podcast Power Players Power Team. Music by Games Cameron. Find back episodes, send us emails, and do cool stuff at our website, nowyoureplaying.com. That's your with an E, because we know how to do Grammar.